We'll be reading the entirety of this chapter, Ephesians chapter 4, as a corollary passage with our study in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Ephesians 4, I'll be reading out of the New King James Version, as is my custom. Follow along, please, in your copy of God's Word. God's Word says, I, therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called, with all lowliness and gentleness, with long suffering, bearing with one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all, but to each of us. Grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, he says, when he ascended on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts to men. Now this, quote, he ascended, unquote, what does it mean but that he also first descended into the lower parts of the earth? He who descended is also the one who ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. And he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ till we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men in the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting, but speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things into him who is the head, Christ, from whom the whole body joined and knit together by what every joint supplies according to the effective working by which every part does its share, causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. This I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk in the futility of their mind, having their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the blindness of their heart, who being past feeling have given themselves over to lewdness, to work all uncleanness with greediness. But you have not so learned Christ." If indeed you have heard him and have been taught by him as the truth is in Jesus, that you put off concerning your former conduct the old man which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lusts and be renewed by the, in the spirit of your mind, and that you put on the new man which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, putting away lying, let each one of you speak truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another." Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath, nor give place to the devil. Let him who stole steal no longer, but rather let him labor, working with his hands what is good, that he may have something to give him who has need. Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary edification, that it may impart grace to the hearers. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. And be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. 
First Corinthians chapter 12, we have been looking at the spiritual giftedness. Last week we introduced this and we looked at a threefold criteria to evaluate our spiritual gifts. In order to really talk about spiritual gifts, we have to understand the Holy Spirit and His presence there and His purposes. Um, remember that we have access, if you are a true believer, uh, a, a very powerful access that really wasn't available readily to many uh, and not in the fashion that Jesus Christ makes it available to us. Um, he was not uh, sent from the Father by the Son until the Son's resurrection ascension. And He was sent to us on a, on a, for a purpose, and that is to have the Spirit of God dwelling within us. And it is that entity, that person of the deity, that takes residence here in the believer uh, in our lives. But that residence here does not mean that he has, is going to usurp who you are. Um, the Christian life is about surrender. It is not about being conquered. Um, God isn't conquering us and forcing us into submission. That somehow we must do this. Um, and he is not going to abrogate or override uh, who you are and what you desire and, and want. And so uh, the Holy Spirit, just as the Father and the Son, uh, there are going to be consequences to rejecting Him or uh, resisting the Holy Spirit, um, but there is not going to be this work of God to override you. And so the Holy Spirit comes in us and then awaits for us to permit Him, which is a radical idea, to permit Him to be at work in our life. And hence, the Bible says, make sure that in your Christian walk, you are not resisting his efforts. He is trying to do some things through and in and through you. And it is apparently available or uh, you are apparently have the ability to resist him, to not walk. As we are given commands to walk in the spirit, it is evident that with that command, there must be available the other option, which is to not walk in the spirit, um, that we are that if we can resist Him, we can submit to Him. And we are called to do that. And so we are to engage ourselves in a daily activity of uh, building this relationship, a submissive relationship to the Holy Spirit as Lord uh, of our life. And, and that He has that uh, access to us and uh, that we give Him in every room of our life. That we don't hold back this little closet here, this little closet there, that that's where I live my life and the rest of my life God can have. Um, what usually happens, though, in the Christian life that I've seen is that we give God a closet and the rest of the house is ours. Um, and that closet might be on Sunday morning or whenever we have a, a big event going on spiritually. Um, but in fact, uh, if we want to see the Spirit gifts at work in our lives, we must first have the Spirit at work in our lives. You cannot exercise spiritual gifts and be in the condition of resisting the Holy Spirit, of not living in conformity with what He has already guided you into in terms of truth and righteousness, holiness, things along that line. And so all of this is premised on this relationship that you have fostered with Holy Spirit. And as such, we recognize that if this is a spiritual gift given to us by God through the direct work of the Holy Spirit in us, it is something that is going to be 
developed in your Christian life that was not evident prior to coming to Christ. What am I trying to communicate there? I'm trying to tell you that a spiritual gift is just that. It is not a physical capacity to do spiritual work. It is not applying your natural abilities or talents to spiritual endeavors. Rather, it is the work of the Holy Spirit in you that is an exercise of His grace, giving you something you don't deserve, that enables you, empowers you, and gives you an ability to minister well outside of your comfort zone. And I'm going to use that term a lot today, I think. Of being outside what is comfortable for your natural abilities. And uh, there are some things here that we're going to they're going to, we're going to feel uncomfortable with because we're um, good conservative Baptists. And uh, we're going to feel a little uncomfortable with talking about some of these areas like working of miracles and tongues and things like that. Uh, and we're going to try to take a balanced approach to this, uh, a biblical approach to this. Um, but uh, when we talk about drawing you outside of your comfort zone, I'm not really talking about things that you haven't ever experienced in your life, but rather uh, things that for you, are personally outside of your talents, of your natural capacities. Why is that so important? Uh, Why is it so important that my ministry in church be, or my spiritual ministry to God, it might not even necessarily be in church. It could be very much out there. Obviously, if you have the gift of evangelism, you're not going to exercise that here. This is not the place for it, um, because you're surrounded by believers, uh, by and large. And uh, evangelism needs to happen out there. So the exercise of your spiritual gift for the edification of the church doesn't have to be in a church service, but rather in the context of your daily life, however it's exercised. Hospitality, for example, would be exercised outside of this place by and large. It'll be exercised in your home, in the community. And so the exercise of these gifts isn't always in a church service, but is always to the edification or building up of the church. Well, why do I have to look for these outside of my natural abilities? Well, first of all, because they are gifts of the Spirit. And so I would assume, therefore, that they weren't there prior to His entrance and your natural abilities were there. Okay, so, and then secondly, probably most importantly, is once we recognize that, who gets the glory? Who and who alone can get the glory? If I am exercising a spiritual gift in the church or for the benefit of the church, um, and I know that in my own strength and in my own energies and efforts, this is nothing that I really want to do. There's nothing I really uh, have a natural tendency to do. It's beyond my personality traits, beyond my, my talent pool. It's, it's beyond me. Then God and God alone gets the glory for that. And this is what we see as the theme in the New Testament, from all the way, even if we look at John the Baptist with, with I must decrease, he must increase, you know, I, I'm just a voice calling out the wilderness, and so I'm just moved by God's Spirit to do this ministry, and I can do nothing less. And, and we see, of course, that evidence in Paul's ministry and Peter's, where they simply say, This is beyond what we can do, but this is what God is doing through us. And so normally, when we look at trying to investigate the gifts of the Spirit, we talked about this last week, we 
uh, engage ourselves in these questionnaires. And uh, horrible things they are. Uh, Because really they're trying to draw from you your natural inclinations, not your spiritual inclinations. They are all those inventories. They they might attach them to spiritual gifts, but all those inventories really do is draw what your natural inclinations are, what you uh, have some capacity to do and to engage in uh, yourself physically, in your own abilities. And we all have those uh, ability in some area or another. And I recognize generally what mine are. Uh, and I tell people that if God didn't get a hold of my life. There was no way I would ever, ever, ever be standing up in front of people and talking. Never. This is not anywhere. I would be either on a battlefield somewhere or I would probably be in an office crunching numbers. You say, those two go together? Yeah, well, somebody has to do the defense contracts, you know. Um, that, that's, that, those are some of my... That's, when I look at my personality and my characteristics and my abilities and, and interests and my natural self, I can see myself going in a radically different direction than where God has sent me. And at the conclusion of every day, and I look at my life and I look at my objectives of my daily and my ministry, I, I have to give praise to God because this is well beyond me in terms of who I am. And that's why every day I can say, well, the Lord has done great things. Because this is nothing that I am comfortable with. Uh, I am not a person that wants to sit down and be patiently counseling others. I really would prefer to just slap you up the side of the head and throw you out sometimes. That's me. That's my attitude. That is, that's my personality. All right? And, uh, but God has called me to something else. And I get Frustrating sometimes, but usually it's only frustrating if I'm thinking like Kirk instead of like a child of God. As long as I put myself in that I am here to do the responsibility that God has laid on my shoulders and has invested in me His grace in these areas um, that are well beyond my comfort zone, now I am serving the Lord. I am doing it not in my own strength or ability, but rather in the power of the Holy Spirit and in the provision of the Holy Spirit. That's really what the spiritual gifts are. They are His provision for us to do His work. And when we rely upon His provision, He receives the glory. When we keep falling back on natural ability, on ourselves, guess who gets the glory? We do. And it's easy to start to say that I am a benefit to the kingdom of God instead of the kingdom of God being a benefit to me. I am gracing God instead of God gracing me. And this is a hazard that I see played out over and over again in churches. And we use these spiritual gifts inventories to try to help people direct themselves. And what I find is that usually what ends up happening is they end up being directed into areas of their natural capacities and... They end up congratulating themselves or the exercise of this quote-unquote spiritual gift, which really isn't. And so we find in 1 Corinthians 12 that there's a great diversity of gifts. There's a, there's a great diversity of gifts. But they come from our God. 
And their purpose is not to glorify ourselves at all, but to build up the church. We discussed this. They must come into lifting up and exalting Jesus Christ. When they're properly exercised and properly identified, this is what they will always do. They will always proclaim Christ. They will always drive towards unity, never towards division among true believers. Uh, And they will always edify the saints. And this we should be looking for as the attributes of those who are properly exercising their true spiritual gifts. So we come to chapter 12 and we're going to start engaging ourselves in this listing, in these examples. And remember from last week, none of the lists in God's Word. We read Ephesians 4. Next week we're going to read Romans 12. Um, We have these lists of gifts of the Spirit. None of them are exhaustive. That is, they don't try to list every gift. They are simply giving us a sample pool. And here in Corinthians particularly, we're given some of the upper echelon and yes there are rate they are rated for us the upper echelon of gifts you might say are they superior well paul seems to say that there are better ones than others they are rated if you will by their capacity to communicate the truth and that's really what rates them what are the better gifts the better gifts are those that most directly give us opportunity to either share the gospel or instruct the saints in his truth. Now, there are other gifts that support that ministry that are important. We're not making those other ones less important. We're going to talk about that more next week when we talk about the body and the symbolage there. But we do find them rated. And so, in 1 Corinthians 12, we're going to see this listing beginning in verse 8. Let's back up to verse 7 and read that first. But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one for the profit of all. We talked about that last week. For to one is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit. So here's our first one, the word of wisdom. Second one here in this list, word of knowledge through the same Spirit. Uh, And there's been a lot of description of what that means. Uh, We're going to discuss some of this to some degree, but verse 9 is continue. To another faith by the same Spirit. To another gifts of healings by the same Spirit. To another working of miracles Uh, to another prophecy, to another discerning of spirits, to another different kinds of tongues, to another interpretation of tongues. But one of the same Spirit works all these things, distributing to each individually as He wills. So we're going to look more next week at the aspect of unity that Paul's really trying to drive home here in this passage and stretching into uh, the verses to come. But I want to begin by just looking at this listing and then we're going to uh, look at his uh, categorizing them later on in the chapter. We've already seen it in Ephesians in our passage read there. Uh, But uh, we find that there is a great breadth in our understanding of what it means to be spiritually gifted. It goes from things that we are today, uh, at least in our circles, very uncomfortable with, uh, to things that we just take for granted, to things that sometimes we don't even think of them as being a gift at all. And yet when God calls us to minister outside of our comfort zone, 
in an area that can only bring him glory because we know, whether others acknowledge it or not is irrelevant, we know in our hearts that this is nothing I can do by my own strength, by my own abilities. Then we have begun to enter into the realm of the Spirit's direction in ministry instead of man's direction in ministry, our own direction in ministry. Remember, he distributes it to each one, so none of us can say, I don't have any spiritual gifts. Well, obviously not everyone is going to be a teacher. Not everyone's going to be a pastor. In fact, the Bible tells us to have very few among you be teachers. There should be a, a, a very limited number that are in that role within the church because there's a great accounting accountability there that needs to be had. And so the Bible says, not, not, don't let many of you be teachers in terms of within the church structure. But um, we still have a necessity that we all teach by example and by our words one another though not in that formal role of teacher. Let's jump down to chapter 12 and look at how he derives, how he brings these gifts and puts them to work in verse 28. And again, we're skipping a section of Scripture that I want to really take grip on next week more. Verse 28, And God has appointed these in the church, first apostles, second prophets, third teachers. After that, miracles, then gifts of healings, helps, administrations, varieties of tongues, um, and again, this is not the exhaustive list. This is just a list. Here are some of the gifts that God has. But look at the priority. The priority has to be, first of apostles, second prophets, third teachers. And so we have this category of giftedness that we see obviously what its purpose is. Its purpose is to directly edify the church through the communication of God's word, to take God's word, to assimilate it into his own life, to then be able to instruct the people in that. And in those offices, whether they be historically in the apostles, uh, in the prophets, and in the teachers, and there is a slight distinction between, I would compare prophets in this passage to evangelists, uh, those who go speak forth the gospel. Uh, we often think of prophets as those who can tell the future, and that's really a minor part of what it means to be a prophet of God. The majority part of a prophet of God is to say, that's sin, repent. That's the, pri- that's the main job of a prophet, is to say, that's sin, repent. What is the main job of a teacher is to come in and communicate truth that can strengthen your life or encourage you and that we can increase in the knowledge of God. And so you might look at this list and say, well, where are some of the ones from the prior list we just read? Where's the wisdom? Where's the knowledge? Where's the faith? Where are those? Some of them are listed there. There's faith. uh, I'm sorry, there's healings. There's miracles. Where's the discerning of spirits? Well, it's not in this secondary list here in 1 Corinthians 12. So we see that the first list and the second list together still aren't exhaustive. Because that wasn't their purpose. Paul's purpose in these passages is not to give you all the possibilities. He's simply to say, wherever God has gifted you for ministry, exercise it not to your own glory, but to the glory of Jesus Christ for the communication of the gospel, for the building up of the saints of the church. And you do it not in an isolated way that I'm going to do my thing my way and uh, I don't really care what's going on elsewhere in the church. But rather, it is 
in a unified way, just like our bodies. We'll discuss that, like I said, next week more. So here we have yet another list. And he's going to tell us, are all prophets, are all apostles, all teachers, all workers of miracles? No, obviously these are distinct between the many members. But we find here a list of some, some of the gifts. Let's go to very quickly to Romans chapter 12. And every spiritual gift inventory I've ever seen uh, presents it almost as a definitive list that you have to fit into some of those that are listed. And if you pick up in Romans 12, beginning in verse 6, we'll find, um, and remember, the, the purpose of this passage, like the other passage, is to talk about how to minister together. And we're going to talk about the togetherness and the unity of ministry next week. But he has, that's the purpose. But he has here another list. And here's the list. Verse 6. Having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given us, let us use them. If prophecy, let us prophesy in proportion to our faith. Or ministry, let us use it in our ministering. He who teaches and teaching, he who exhorts in exhortation, who gives in liberality, he who leads with diligence, he who shows mercy with cheerfulness. Now we obviously look at that list and say, well, those are some different things than what we just saw in 1 Corinthians 12. There are some that are the same, but there are some additional ones. And you're correct, that observation is accurate. Because none of these purpose have as their purpose a definitive list. They are just a selection. Why am I pressing this? Because I don't want us to come to this and say, I have to be gifted in one of these things that is directly declared in Scripture. But rather, we explore ministry and say, where does God desire me to minister? And can I do that to His glory outside of my comfort zone and my natural abilities? And neither Paul nor God's Word do I find where there is a limiting of that, but rather each one of these lists kind of demonstrates that there might be some ways of ministering that are not necessarily stated here. It is for us to simply engage ourselves with the Holy Spirit, and once we have a relationship with Him, a vibrant one, a living one, in which we are uh, walking with Him, we are not resisting His work, we are stepping in obedience to what He has already revealed to us, that those gifts can then be activated to His glory. You might say, oh, what are they? What are they? And we've made such a big deal over identifying them that we've missed out the whole idea of their working. How do they work? Well, let's look at the context. The context of how they work is in or towards the church. I think it's fascinating that Paul, when he deals with a young preacher named Timothy, says, um, here's uh, how we identified your gifts. And he did that by the work of the leadership of the church. By the laying on of hands. That is, that the leadership of the church identified these gifts in Timothy and engaged him then in this specific ministry of pastoring. They recognized in him that God was at work and would use him in that way. And we have far too long involved ourselves in the individualizing of this discovery process of what is my gift. 
that I have to go into a room and, and I have to figure this out. I have to take this spiritual gift inventory and rely upon that to some degree. Um, and if I can answer a bunch of questions, yes and no, or A, B, C, or D, that that's going to help me. Uh, and we have failed. And we have a lot of frustrated Christians who are running, running around wondering, what should I be doing for God? What are my gifts? What are my gifts? And they're really upset about it. Fundamentally, um, the manner in which you discover these gifts, I'm convinced, is in the context of the church that you're supposed to be supporting. As a young man, I had the privilege of having godly men come into my life and impact it. And invariably, they would redirect me because I was going in other directions. I was going in many other directions according to my natural inclinations, my natural abilities, my natural interests. And they came alongside and they say, uh, you know, we know that you don't like this, <laughs> but I'm going to make you do it anyway. Don't you hate people like that? They're called parents. I know you don't like this, but you're going to do it anyway. And I've had those kind of men come into my life. And uh, I remember some of them, uh, some of them as a, as a youth, as a, as a teenager. Uh, I remember Rick Reagan just kept, my, he was a youth pastor of my church, just kept giving me these assignments. You're going to have to do the Sunday school class for, you know, I'm, I'm when we're going on a tour group. And, and I'm okay getting up there, maybe doing certain things in a group, but you're going to get up and teach a Sunday school class of other teens. Uh, you're going to do this. You're going to do any. And I'm like, I don't know. This is bad. This is bad. And I just, why does he keep pushing me like this? Why does he want me to do these kinds of things? And I'm sure that God just wanted me to be out there and I don't, you know, whether it be a, a physician or whatever, or something that had lots of book learning and I didn't have to deal with groups of people. They kept pushing. And all through, God brings these individuals and, and, and says, listen, God's got some plans for you and, and, and redirecting my life. I mean, I'm into college and I'm a chemistry major in college. And I've got these guys coming up and you need to be thinking differently about what you should be doing with your life. And as a junior in college, I finally get the hint. So this process isn't something that we're going to resolve necessarily right now today by, here, take this test and I'm going to tell you what your spiritual gifts are. It's a process of discovery that you engage in with people of God, godly individuals, who over that time see where God's hand is work at you in areas that maybe you wouldn't recognize or don't want to recognize. Why don't you want to recognize the Spirit of God? Because... It's not comfortable. You have to be completely dependent upon the Holy Spirit. You can't do it in your own strength. And so you're looking at that, Pastor, just don't ask me to do that. Don't ask me to do not that, Pastor. And here he comes. And you know he's going to ask you to do that thing that you just don't like to do. I'll volunteer to do this over here. Just don't ever ask me to do that. And I've said that to God multiple times. I'll do this over here. Just don't ask me to do that. 
I was volunteering. I'll be in a, I'll be in a, a missionary for Awana where I go out there and run games and have, and do this kind of stuff. And, and I'll volunteer for that. God, just don't send me to the southwest of the United States to start churches. So even after college and even after seminary, or not, I guess we were, beyond, we were in the seminary program, um, I was still struggling with that. God, is this really what you want me to do? You really expect me to do this? I mean, like preach? I mean, I'll, I'll be a missionary, okay. But certainly you don't mean for me to preach. You want me to be some other kind of missionary. Along comes another man of God that says, what are you thinking? Because we don't see God leading you that way. And it's allowing that ministry of the church and its leadership and its godly individuals to impact your life and to redirect your life radically. To say maybe this is totally something you've never even considered because it's so far beyond your thinking because it's so radical to you. Because I can't possibly do that. And so when somebody who is not very hospitable at all starts becoming the hospitality person and inviting everybody over, um, well, is that because they were trained in that? No, it's because God gave them grace to do that. And maybe they're very good at it because God's at work in their life and they haven't been tapped because no one's saying, you need to be doing this with your life. Well, I don't feel comfortable doing that, Pastor. I'm like, good. So how do we examine if this is really the work of Christ? If this is really the Holy Spirit? Well, the evidence here in 1 Corinthians 12 is when the church benefits. Verse 7, the prophet of all. Remember, when the church is edified, when the church is built up, then... You can have a real confidence that what God's doing in your life is real. If you are being puffed up, then you can have a pretty strong confidence that that is not within the gifts of the Holy Spirit. When the church is built up, you're going down the right trail, the right track. When you are puffed up, now you're building upon your own knowledge and you're on the wrong track because you're doing it in your own strength, you feel comfortable doing that. You know you can do it at any time and any place and um, to accomplish the purposes that are out there. And this is what's derailing many ministries today uh, is we can do that even... We can do the things we do well naturally by our own physical ability, whether we're walking in the Spirit or not. Do you know why that's dangerous? You know why it's dangerous for naturally uh, engaging people with this persona that they're able to do to get up and get a great following of people and to, and to bring people in to hear great preaching and they do it out of their natural ability. You know why that's so dangerous? Because they can do it whether they're walking with God or not. And you wonder, how can this preacher preach so well and yet live so wrong? Because... He was doing it by his natural power or ability. 
And that's the danger, is that we can keep ministering and ministering and ministering regardless of whether we're walking in the Spirit or not. Because it's, it's separate from that because it's not based upon His grace in our life. But when we are ministering out of the Holy Spirit's moving in our life, uh, and we're dependent upon Him for it because it's outside of what we are able to do in our own self, um, now, I better walk with the Spirit because I'm dependent upon Him to do the thing I have, the ministry I'm doing in my life. And so, being dependent upon the Holy Spirit becomes a daily exercise. That's what it's about, walking in the Spirit. And now I am ministering in ways that I would have never dreamed and nobody uh, in the assessments of me would have picked. Um, but because the Holy Spirit's doing this work now, He is getting the glory. The church is being edified. And we are drawn to unity. I'm not being puffed up. Because every day for me to do the work that God has for me to do, I have to depend upon Him. And it's impossible to get too puffed up when you're being carried. Right? It's a very humbling situation to be carried around. Because you're totally dependent upon the person that's carrying you. And you can sit there and say, ha, 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 I'm taller than you and all i got to do is drop you now you're on the floor. You can't get puffed up about anything. They're carrying you. Well, when we have the gift of the Holy Spirit engaged in our ministry and we're so far out of our comfort zone that we're like, man, I am frightened to death every time I get up to do this or every time I, I stretch myself out there to do this, then we bring ourselves to dependence upon the Holy Spirit. Lord, I need your help. <laughs> well, we know that we can't require, require or acquire from God His help unless we are in a right relationship with Him. And out of a right relationship with God, then we can go and anticipate that He will come alongside us and gift us to do His work His way. Not in your own strength, but in the power of the Spirit. And this is some radical concepts from what's standardly believed in the church about spiritual gifts. That somehow, um, I'm going to just feel at ease doing this. We can become accustomed to doing it by simply practicing. I've grown accustomed to some degree of being a pastor. Uh, my first five or six years of pastoring uh, up in Rio Rancho, I was physically ill every Sunday morning. Physically ill every Sunday morning. Thinking about having to get up and do this job. I don't get physically ill most Sunday mornings anymore. I've grown accustomed to it, but I still recognize every day, I, oh, i got to preach this sermon. Lord, help me. And this is the working of the Holy Spirit. So before we get so tied into, i got to pick one of these, because these are it. You need to recognize that the Spirit's working is broad and expansive. But I need to look first, what is the objective? The objective is that I want to do ministry. And that passage we studied in Ephesians is where I want to end this discussion. Because it talks about, and there is a short list here, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers. Um, verse 12, for the equipping of the saints. 
And so you have this, this echelon of gifts and its purpose is to equip the saints, to give you the tools so that you can do something. To equip the saints for the work of the ministry. Okay, so uh, that echelon is not superior just because they're the pastors, they're in charge, or they're the evangelists. They're, they've got some closer walk with God. No, it's simply that they come first, they're prior, because through their ministry in your life, now you can be equipped to do ministry. That every member of the body of Christ ought to be engaged in the work of ministries, what verse 12 says, for, guess what? There's that word again, for the edifying of the body of Christ. So, the pastor's job is to equip the saints so that the saints can do the work of the ministry so that the body of Christ is built up. How long? Till we come to unity, and we're going to talk about the unity next week, of the knowledge of the Son of God, the perfect man. That we come into righteousness and this completion as, a, as individuals and as a church that we are edified, built up to completion. That story upon story has been laid, that, that the foundation is sure, Jesus Christ, and that we have built upon that which glorifies God, not in our own strength, but in the power of the Holy Spirit. And we, and we see that we do all of this, again, not for ourselves. We do all this not so that I feel fulfilled. I do all this for the body. And so we seek that equipping under the ministry of the teaching and the preaching of God's Word that I am now equipped. I have a fundamental knowledge of my foundation. I have instruction in good theology and in good uh, practice of righteousness. And now having been equipped, I can go out and do ministry. I say, well, I don't know where to do that ministry. But in that process of equipping, God brings that direction into our life. You see, we want the cart before the horse. We want God to reveal our gift before us before we ever take a step into it. I didn't experience that. I didn't just wake up one day and say, God wants me to be a preacher. Well, thank you, Lord. Now I can start planning my life to be a preacher. Didn't happen that way. And maybe for some people that's how it works. But from what I can, and for Paul, you might look at that and say, well, that's what happened for Paul. He had that, you know, experience on the road to Damascus uh, and he got told the whole story right up front. Uh, but that's the exception, not the rule. You ever wonder about the guy in Damascus that had to go meet Paul? God, you want me to do what? I love that guy. Ananias, because that's where most of us live. God, you want me to do what? <laughs> do you know what you're asking of me? And I says, Lord, don't you know this guy is here to kill Christians? He's there to hunt us down. You want me to do what? And oh, that at some point in ministry, we are confronted with opportunities that you look at the person square in the eye or, or even in your walk with the Lord, look at him square in the sky and say, Lord, you want me to do what? Pastor, you want me to do what? Are you outside of your mind? No, it's time for you to get outside of your abilities and get into the Spirit. And this, I think, fundamentally is what it means to walk in the Spirit. Walk by faith and not by sight. 
we look at ourselves and we say, here's what I can do. And then we'll make ourselves available only in those categories that we have looked at. And we've not seen by faith what God can do. And we have limited ourselves in what we can do for God. Maybe we're afraid of the dependence that we have, that we have to be carried by the Spirit to do that work. The love of God should cast out that kind of fear. He will supply where He directs. And it's for us to simply take those steps and start down that road. And like I said, it's not going to be overnight necessarily. Even for Paul, who had the road to Damascus experience, he was blind for a while. He wandered around as a blind man to be led. He had to be taught, you're going to be dependent upon me. He was dependent upon a guy in Damascus coming up to him and saying, Paul, receive your sight. He was dependent upon a guy named Barnabas to go look for him when he was hanging out somewhere in Tarsus learning to depend upon God for 12 years before he actually started doing what God told him he would have to do. 12 years. Paul was hanging out in Tarsus, waiting to be starting to be used in the area of God's giftedness. So we're talking about a process here, but it's a process I want you to start on now if you haven't. And for some that might be well down the road, I would encourage you, it is not about you. It's about glorifying God. It's about building up His saints. And the the real evidence of its fruitfulness isn't whether you feel good about it. It isn't whether you feel fulfilled in it. The real evidence of its fruitfulness is the unity of the saints ministering together to the glory of God. That's the proof. God is in it. And that is what we wait upon. And that's what we look to. And we have to keep reminding ourselves of, I can continue faithfully in this ministry because the church is edified, because I'm seeking to exalt the Lord, and because I have to every day depend upon the Holy Spirit to do this. Because I just can't bring myself to do it by myself. It's just uncomfortable. I just don't like it. And for many years, I told people, I don't really like preaching. And God changed my heart, but it took years of preaching before I started liking it. Years of preaching before I started liking it. And so when I read the story of Moses on the mountain, arguing with God, saying, oh, I'm not the guy. I'm not the guy. I, don't, I can't talk really well. I don't like being in crowds. I'm not the guy, Lord. I associate with him very strongly. I'm not the guy. God says, that's exactly why you are the guy. It's because you aren't, but rather my spirit in you. You're the vessel. You're not the engine. You're just the chassis. (laughs) And when when that's the condition of our ministry, that we are the chassis and the spirit's the engine, um, and and he's going to drive us places that we don't necessarily think we can because we don't understand the engine very well, um, and it's beyond what I think I can do, 
Now we are ready to explore spiritual giftedness. And ready to declare God has gifted me in this area. And all the glory of anything that's accomplished in my ministry has to go to him because it's well outside the purview of what I am able to do, let alone feel comfortable doing. Very different perspective. I know this is more of an instructional message today, more than motivational or inspirational or convicting. But I think it's important that we understand this before we stretch further into this. You are called by God to minister. That is certain. It is certain that God must receive the glory. But that process of requires your exploration of ministry. It involves your willing to be to walk with the Holy Spirit first. And it also requires of you to be responsive to godly leadership in your life that says, do this. Let's pray.